Well, good morning, my friends. It's a nice day today. It's, I'm glad you're here and not out hiking. <laughs> now I shouldn't have reminded you that you could be hiking. Our text today from John is one of those snapshot scenes that you find in the Gospels. Uh, the writer tells a story about Jesus by simply giving us a play-by-play -play of a moment. It's written kind of like a water cooler conversation. Hey, did you hear what happened? No. Well, here's what happened. Uh, a few weeks back, right after they crucified Jesus, on that next Monday evening, the disciples of Jesus were hiding because the Jewish leaders were looking for him. And Jesus came right through the walls. And he stood in the middle of the room, and he said, uh, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side, and he breathed on them, and he told them to receive God's spirit. It was kind of like he told them the way he was when he was with them, that they should go out and be like that too. But uh, Thomas, he wasn't there when that happened. He was not down with their story. So like a week later, they were in the same place, and Jesus did it again. He went right up to Thomas. He told him not to doubt, but to believe that it was him. Can you believe that? Hmm. Can I believe that? Do you believe that? Well, there's this joke about a Sunday school class for kindergartners. Teacher's given a demonstration of how God created everyone, including all the little animals. And for her illustration, she asked the kids in her class, she said, what's brown and furry and has a big bushy tail and eats nuts? And all the kids said, Jesus! Because... <laughs> Everyone knows that the answer in Sunday school is Jesus. And so the teacher smiled and said, no, 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 listen close. Uh, what's brown, furry, has a big bushy tail, and eats nuts? Again, Jesus. So she stopped him and she said, no, listen really close. Brown, furry, has a big bushy tail, and eats nuts. And one little boy put his hand up and goes, okay, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. So I know that the answer to can I believe the story in our text today is supposed to somehow be yes. But I'm betting that there are a few of us here today who are living in a different place. And the answer that has secretly probably welled up inside of us is no. I can't believe that. People don't come back from the dead. They don't walk through walls. And besides, I'm not sure if it really matters anymore because the world's coming to an end and the Republicans might win the midterm election and the price of gas the last time I filled up my car was way too high. So no, I don't have the energy or the creativity to try to believe that story. And besides that, I don't even know what you mean when you say believe. I remember asking Rod when he asked me to give one of my first sermons here at PMC. I said, how long should it be? And without hesitation, he said, 17 minutes. So here is a part of me that there's a part of me that feels like I should give you the option right now on a nice day like today to just get up, go out, 
Find something that gives you hope in the world and focus on that for 17 minutes. Or you can stay here and listen to me try to do it. You stayed. Okay. Uh, as I was working on this sermon, I had uh, one of my favorite bands playing in the background. The band's name is Elbow. And they have a uh, song that almost always makes me tearful. The song is called Magnificent, she says. And I wish I could play it for you, but I think it's a copyright problem. And I won't read all of the lyrics, but here's the, here's the first verse. This is where the bottle lands, where all of the biggest questions meet, with little feet stood in the sand. And this is where the echoes swell to nothing on the tide, and where a tiny pair of hands finds a sea-worn piece of glass and sets it as a sapphire in her mind. And there she stands, throwing both of her arms around the world, a world that doesn't even know how much it needs this little girl. I have a daughter, sorry. <laughs> It's all going to be magnificent, she says. It's all going to be magnificent. <clears throat> I told you. Guy Garvey, who wrote the lyrics, has uh, somehow captured a simple moment of a little girl playing at the water's edge. And in that moment, at least for me, is just pure hope. A little over a week ago, I was talking with one of our MYF kids about the fact that they had been uh, chosen to be a speaker at their graduation. And at the risk of stealing their thunder, he told me that most of the adult speakers at his commencement were going to start their speeches with, well, it's been a really rough couple of years, but we've survived this pandemic. And he said he was going to get up after that and start his speech with, well, it's been a really rough number of years, but we've survived high school. <laughs> I commended him on his comedic timing. But I also should have commended him on his insight into the world that we have created for people his age. Now, you can argue with me about living in reality about facing facts, about science, and being clear-eyed about the world's problems. But as you do this, I hope you can also accept the reality that our obsession with the doom and gloom that pervades our news cycle is a real bummer for our kids. Do you remember being a kid? Do you remember what it feels like to be small and powerless? To need desperately to know that the grown-ups around you had things under control? Now, I hear a lot of people talk about how they're putting the trust in the next generation, their trust in the next generation. And I've done this. I've done this too. We will tell kids that are in high school that we're grateful that they are bright and resourceful because we believe in them. 
We believe that they can save the world. I think this might be one of the worst things we can say to a kid. Because we're not only living, they're not only living with the uncertainty of watching us struggle with what we're hearing on the news, now we've given them the weight of fixing it as well. What do we need to do to find balance again? What do we need to do to actually become more hopeful? To be genuinely hopeful with our kids. Please don't misunderstand me, because I'm aware that the world is in a precarious place. But I also sometimes wonder if it's always been precarious to some extent, and now that we're flooded with the continuous stream of information on our screens with each headline trying to outdo the last one, that somehow our perception of that reality of our world has gotten a little out of balance. And most of us, as a result, have lost the ability to find a shiny piece of glass on the beach, to pretend that it's a sapphire, and to throw open our arms with gratitude and joy just for being alive. I've been listening in on the conversations that many of you have been having with David Johnson about reimagining the church. And David has been organizing our responses into categories of belief, behavior, and belonging. And these three categories are very useful to understand how different churches and different traditions approach faith, faith formation. For instance, Many of us have grown up in places where beliefs were put first and behavior was put second. So if you could say the right stuff and you could act a certain way, then you got to belong. What David is discovering in your responses is that belonging comes first for many of us. If we can't belong, there's no path forward. Belonging has become essential for many of us when it comes to faith. And I think there's some consensus here at PMC that that's how we understand these three stages of faith development. First, we must belong. We must find a place to actually make friends, build friendships. And then we learn behaviors marked by peace and justice and compassion. And finally, we arrive at belief. But as I indicated earlier, I'm just not sure many of us can get there anymore. And I made a brash statement the other day to David about this, but the more I think about it, I think I was just blurting out my own truth. I said that I'm not sure that in a postmodern, post-Christian world, getting to the belief part is even possible anymore. The reality is that when I run into somebody who tells me that they believe something strongly, they either have to have a body of work, otherwise known as lived behavior, to back it up, or I will dismiss them out of hand. In fact, I'm, I'm frightened by people who believe things strongly. Certainty of beliefs in the landscape that we live in today is a negative trait, especially when it's applied to matters of faith. 
Am I the only one who feels this way? Maybe, maybe I just spend too much time on Twitter. <laughs> one way that I have talked with teenagers about belief is to change it into the word trust. According to some biblical scholars, this isn't that radical when you read the text in its original language. Trusting something inherently means that you bring something of yourself to it. Trust is beyond certainty. Trust is relational. It's based on experience. But here's the thing. Maybe what I need at the end of my faith formational journey isn't beliefs, statements of faith wrapped in a bow, and maybe even trust these days is hard to lean into. Maybe what I need is hope. A place to belong, a faith I can practice with others, and a deep sense of hope at the end of the day. That sounds really close to the answer of what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, remember when I said we shouldn't burden our youth with questions about how they can fix the future? Well, the other week I didn't listen to my own advice. I, uh, I knew the class was meeting downstairs asking the question about reimagining the church, so I asked our youth what type of church they would like to see in their future. And hopefully they didn't hear me tell them that it was their responsibility to fix the church. But the answers that Barry Frisbee and I heard that morning were fascinating. I had given them completely way to abandon reality and use their imagination. And the answers were fun, they were playful, all of them were radically inclusive, all of them had community built into the center of their vision of church. But one vision of church that we heard that morning has stuck with me. This person began by describing his dream church by saying that everyone would be on a hoverboard. And the space that he was describing was full of joy and fun. But then he said that at the center of the church would be growing the tree of life. And all of the people could approach the tree of life on their hoverboard and ask for anything that had died to be resurrected. And I'm not sure that this person intended to strike such a deep chord in me, but I immediately knew that I wanted to go to that church. I need a church that has the tree of life growing in its center. <laughs> I want to belong to a church where things that are broken can be healed and where things that are dead can walk through walls and come back to life. Now, I'm not sure you're, if all of you are aware, but this morning the younger children here at PMC gathered downstairs for Sunday school for the first time since March 8, 2020. We've not been able to do that for 111 Sundays. 
And I know deep inside that there is a tree of life in our center here uh, at PMC, because I sense it when people take meals to each other, when we grieve together, when we try to face our white supremacy with as much honesty as we can muster. I catch uh, glimpses of it in the smiles and the warm greetings that we offer each other. Uh, and my hope is that new folks that come and join us, that they catch glimpses of this tree as well. But for me, the sounds of kids running around this place and the relationships that people in this congregation have with our children and our teenagers, it what, it's what makes that tree of life bloom. Now we've said for many years here at PMC that the spiritual formation of children and the spiritual formation of adults was intertwined. Our children ask us the questions that we need to hear, the, the simple, piercing questions. And those questions shape us as much as our engagement with them shape our children. Our teenagers challenge our assumptions and ask us to define or defend our view of the world. And they're pushing changes us as much as our responses shape them. So this morning, I may have trouble telling you how I believe that Jesus can walk through walls and breathe God's spirit, God's love-filled hope back into his friends. But I can tell you that I've experienced it. And it's magnificent. So, <clears throat> do me a favor. Sometime this afternoon or on your way home, find the song Magnificent by Elbow and pause and listen to it. There's a part where the violins swell. And if you're like me, you're going to get goosebumps. I want you to just sit in that moment and let Jesus walk right through the walls. Let him breathe on you. Let hope fill your soul. Amen.